The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California legislature. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show, of course, is about privacy and about civil liberties and about Internet law. And we are so thrilled because we are going to be speaking this morning with Jennifer Granick, who is the Director of Civil Liberties at the Stanford Center for Internet and Society. And she's the author of a brand new book coming out this month from Cambridge University Press entitled American Spies. Modern Surveillance, Why You Should Care, and What to Do About It. It's like, okay, tell me, what can we do about it? That's what we're going to talk about today. And from 2001 to 2007, uh, Jennifer was also the executive director of CIS, and she taught cyber law, computer crime law, internet, internet intermediary liability, and internet law and policy. And from 2007 to 2010, she served as the Civil Liberties Director at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and we've had them on our show as well. Jennifer practices, speaks, and writes about computer crime and security, electronic surveillance, security vulnerability disclosure, encryption policy, and the important Fourth Amendment. In March of 2016, she was reviewed. She received the Duo Security Women's and Security Academic Award for her expertise in the field, as well as her direction and guidance for young women in the security industry. Before teaching at Stanford, Jennifer spent almost a decade practicing criminal defense law in California. You can find out more about her at conflicthealing.com, which is our website where you'll see her picture, her bio, and we link to her websites, granick.com, that's G-R-A-N-I-C-K.com, and americanspies.com. This is with regard to her new book coming out. So we are just thrilled to have you join us, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so first I have to ask you, how did you get into all this security and privacy and surveillance? How, how did that become a passion for you? Uh, you know, I think 
for less with for many people, you sort of follow what you're interested in, and if you're lucky, it works out and turns into a job. Um, and for me, I was a criminal defense lawyer for many years, um, and I was working for a small firm in San Francisco, and I needed to develop a, a white-collar specialty. And I thought, I'll do computer crimes because I think computers are really interesting and they're fun, and I like, you know, I like playing with them. And I started going to security conferences and to, to privacy-related conferences, and that's how I began to learn about computer hackers um, and also about privacy and security. And um, some of my early clients back then were um, computer hackers who somehow or another got themselves in a little bit of trouble with the law. And from those clients and from going to those conferences, I, I learned a lot about how computers work. So it's lucky you were wearing your white hat instead of <laughs> the black hat. <laughs> So let's talk about what my audience and the public generally need to understand about surveillance today. There's lots of different kinds of surveillance, isn't there? There really is, and I think that um, it's difficult to kind of get the big picture and understand how the pieces fit into one another. So let's talk about, you know, what is the, the, diff- the various kinds of surveillance that people don't even think about I think one thing people really don't realize is how much information we shed just by our online activities um, and increasingly by our offline activities. I don't know if people really understand that when you surf the Internet or shop or um, create an address book or buy um, movies or whatever, do something with your bank account, that all of these online activities are creating records. Um, And the records um, are either something that can be kept or that businesses generally do keep. Um, and, and all of this material is available to, um, you know, some of it's made available to advertisers, obviously, which is why private companies tend to keep it. But it also can be made available to law enforcement. And um, it's made available to law enforcement under these very weak privacy laws. So there's not really a, a lot of hurdles that um, an investigator necessarily has to jump through to get access to this information. And if you put it all together, you know, you might say, well, I don't care if they know that I watched the Trolls movie last night. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you put all the information together, um, your information and then information about other people, you can actually tell an immense amount of intimate and personal stuff about people. Yeah. You know, I was also thinking things that people don't realize, like with these um, smart gadgets and, you know, whether it's a, a fitness gadget or whether it's GPS in their car or whether it's OnStar or, or whether right. it's a baby monitor, right? I mean, right. all of these things that we use all the time that we just, you know, even I know for me, I was scared to let them put a smart meter on my house. <laughs> and and I only let them do it after I spoke with, um, a, you know, the head of the San Diego Gas and Electric who had spoken with Ann Kavuki and, and was who, you know, who Ann was. She was the uh, privacy commissioner. Yeah. And, and that she had actually worked with them to incorporate privacy issues but you know everyone else just put the smart meter on their house okay no big deal so i think people are not even aware of all these different other kinds of surveillance even drones right 
Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, these are all of a, of a piece. You know, we may be beginning to understand that when we do something on our computers, maybe those things create records. But increasingly, as you point out, there are all kinds of technologies that are in our real-world lives that are creating records uh, as well or which can be repurposed or commandeered into becoming surveillance devices. So, you know, when you have, like, a smart refrigerator, a smart TV, or a smart toothbrush or, you know, whatever <laughs> it is right. these days, your smart meter, uh, we have the Nest, you know, you have all these things. They, they, they pose privacy risks because things that used to not create any real records, like what temperature you have the house at or how many pints of ice cream you go through in a week, right. um, now suddenly are creating the, these records. Um, it also can be a security risk because, as we've seen recently, a lot of these devices are not properly secured and can be turned into botnets and used for denial of service attacks and, and, and stuff like that. Um, but one of the big concerns is, is you know, not only that these devices are, are creating records about our health, about our eating habits, about, you know, when we're home and when we're away, um, but can also be repurposed or changed in order to become a surveillance tool itself. There was some news recently that um, investigators had served a search warrant on Amazon to try to get records from the Amazon Echo or Alexa device that they mm-hmm. think might be relevant in a murder investigation. Um, and, and that case is mildly interesting, but what's really interesting is the question of whether law enforcement can take these devices we have in our home and um, intentionally not, you know, not just take advantage of the information that they've collected, but intentionally turn them on or start to use them to listen to us. Right. Um, it makes the smart TV seem, you know, that much scarier. And, you know, one of the smart TV models, I believe it was the Samsung, had something in the manual that said, you know, this device can pick up conversations as part of its, um, you know, interconnected um, services as part of what the product is. So be careful having conversations about (laughs) confidential or personal stuff in front of the TV. I think that's a real shock to American families. Most of our our best conversations happen in front of the TV. Right, right. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's Big Brother for sure. So given this and and given that we need to more, uh, what does it do to give people education unless we can tell the consumers what they can do to protect themselves? You know, that's the issue. It's, it's exactly right. And so much of your work has been focused, focused on helping people figure out how to protect themselves, either in terms of selecting products correctly or, um, you know, using privacy-protecting tools to protect oneself. Right. Um, and certainly, I think these technological choices make a big difference. You mentioned Ann Kavukian, who's one of the main um, proponents of this idea of privacy by design, that right. um, companies need to think about privacy as like an inherent part of building the product so that it's not just collecting more information than it needs or leaking information places it doesn't need to go to provide people with the service and, and, and that sort of thing. So I think that is really important. And in, in a lot of ways, technology and making good technological decisions is one of the best things that 
we can do to protect ourselves, um, both in terms of what consumers decide to choose as their products and as their security or privacy measures, and also in terms of what the big companies can give to us as sort of a default when they roll out products and services to us and think about providing encryption, think about not keeping extra data around, think about deleting records after they aren't needed, think about uh, anonymizing and that sort of thing. And, and I, we can certainly talk more about that, but I want to mention that, you know, as a lawyer, when you're a lawyer, you know, everything is the law. <laughs> you just right, like if you have right. a hammer, you know, everything's a nail. The other part of this is the law. Um, and I think one, another thing people really don't realize is as technology has made the big brother world so much more real, um, at the same time, the law has shrunk back. The law has been whittled away. The law has been interpreted out of existence. And so the law is really very weak right now. And we have an opportunity and need to take the opportunity to use the law to protect us in situations when um, technology can't. Yeah. And there aren't that many attorneys that are that savvy about these security issues and privacy issues. I mean, that's, it's a growing area, obviously. But um, we have to, cr- and, and we used to have um, an actual, pr- the Senate in California had a privacy committee. I don't know if they have one now. I remember Simidian, Senator Simidian, was a g- great proponent of privacy. And I don't know... I mean, we do have some new privacy laws, but I don't think there's that, you know, um, push for privacy laws like there was, you know, with regard to the data breach and the identity theft laws that we've had. I think it's just almost overwhelming. It's all over the place. How do you put your fingers in all those holes? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's true. I think so. We, you know, as Californians, we are in a better position than many other um, people are because California is a very privacy-forward um, state, and it does have, um, uh, it has been a leader in privacy-friendly yes. statutes um, and, and can often set the standard for the rest of the country. I mean, we have, in, as part of our um, California Attorney General's office, there's a director of privacy education and policy who's Joanne mm-hmm. McNabb, who pays attention to these sure. things. California was the first state, I believe, one of the first states to pass a statute that requires consumers to be told when there's a data breach and right. their private information has been stolen. Um, we have, we, we protect the uh, content of emails um, with a warrant requirement, which the federal law does not clearly do. Um, So we really have been a a great uh, leader, and, you know, we have a lot of great privacy advocates here. Um, That helps, you know, in in California and can set a standard, as I said, but we have just this real failure on the federal level and in the part of other states as well, and particularly when it comes to things like intelligence gathering. Yes. Um, and when it comes to things like the FBI doing criminal investigations, these protections are really have really been whittled away. Yes, they've been watered down. And, you know, this kind of brings us to the whole issue of what we've learned from Edward Snowden's uh, decision to give documents to reporters. Now, that that whole thing, you know, some people feel that he was a hero um, and some people feel that he was a traitor. But no matter what you feel about what has happened with him, um, there has been a lot of revelations that we would not know about 
that were hidden if he had not, you know, done this and put himself out like that. So, um, so what do you think? Um, What are some of the most important things that we learned from his disclosures? Yeah, so I think one of the most important things we learned is that really I think the way historically we've been thinking about surveillance is is wrong. You know, historically we think about surveillance kind of like, you know, the show The Wire or, you know, one of the, or like Law and Order or something where there's a suspect and uh, the cops are after the suspect and they go to the court or get some kind of legal process and they start spying on that suspect. And what we learned from Edward Snowden is that modern surveillance is not targeted surveillance in that way. Right. Modern surveillance is mass surveillance, um, and, and it's, it's uh, designed, modern intelligence surveillance is designed to um, collect as much information as it possibly can. Um, and then only after the information is gathered to search through it, to data mine it, to do analysis on it, and try to find out whatever, you know, is discoverable from that data. So, you know, in the United States, there's some rules about how broad surveillance it can be, um, but one of the things we learned from Snowden is that the um, collection is far broader and far more vast than the government had told us, um, and it operates under very shady sometimes interpretations of the law so that you cannot know from reading the law what kind of surveillance is actually going on, and the safeguards are, are really quite weak. Internationally, um, we, you know, we've known that the rules about surveillance are very laissez-faire, very laid-back, and we know that, um, you know, there have been certain governments that we've tried to collect against, uh, but what we didn't really understand is sort of the full extent of cooperation that we have with other governments, particularly with the British spy agency, and also the way that we sometimes undermine um, undermine computer security in order to get access to data that we're interested in for foreign intelligence purposes. So we really learned a lot of very important important things from Snowden. I think we've already seen some political changes as a result of what um, Snowden um, helped reveal to us. Um, There was a phone dragnet where the government was collecting as many phone calling records um, of Americans as it possibly could under a law that did not justify mass surveillance of everything. Um, And that law has been changed by the USA Freedom Act, which passed last year. Um, We've seen President Obama issue a presidential policy directive that assures um, uh, foreigners, people living overseas who are not American citizens, that they will receive some uh, uh, consideration of their privacy interests when we collect data through our massive collection capabilities overseas. Um, And right now we're about to have a big uh, national discussion about the uh, propriety of two legal programs um, that were really controversial. Uh, The PRISM program, which Snowden revealed for the first time, um, and the Upstream program. In PRISM, it's a program where the um, intelligence authorities can go direct go to the companies, some of the best-loved Internet companies, and get information about their uh, 
ask for information about their non-U.S. citizen users um, living overseas, but that information includes when those people are having conversations with Americans, and it has this big impact on Americans. And then upstream is basically scanning through all the messages that cross the Internet backbone looking for certain um, selectors or particular kinds of search terms. Mm. Was and there so any- we wouldn't have known any of that without without Snowden. Right. Was there anything in particular that really surprised you about the Snowden revelations? I mean, I maybe I'm overly uh, optimistic, but I was very surprised. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I believe that the law matters, and I believe that, um, you know, we that that our government tries to follow the law. Um, but I was very surprised by the phone record dragnet um, because the government has been conducting that. Under, had been conducting that under statute that said you can only get information if it's relevant to a counterterrorism investigation. How is every phone record of who Americans call and who calls us relevant to a particular counterterrorism investigation? Mm-hmm. Um, that is not what relevance means under the law. And I believe that we are a country of laws, that the rule of law matters. And so to see the... Um, bastardization of that statute and the sloppy legal work that was this, that was done. I mean, they didn't even write a court opinion about it. They only wrote a court opinion like after there was public outcry about it, but the just really sloppy um, legal work that was done to try to justify this program um, really surprised me, um, particularly since uh, experts generally agree that there were no um, counterterrorism successes as a result of that program. Yeah. Do you remember, and I forgot who testified in Congress, remember when they talked about that there was this uh, total information awareness, wasn't that the name of it before? Yes. And they said, yeah. no, we are not. And, you know, there was this whole question of, aren't we collecting, you know, all these emails and phone calls, aren't we doing this? And that was supposedly under total information awareness. And then they said, no, we're not doing that. And so I think that's that's probably what surprised me the most is they came out, testified and said, no, 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 we're not doing that. And then we found out that they were indeed doing that. Yeah, I mean, what happens is, you know, you have a proposal like total information awareness, and there's this outcry. And so then, you know, instead of um, doing that, basically, uh, the intelligence agencies were able to piece together under a variety of different authorities, (laughs) a lot of information collection that wasn't total information awareness, but was lots and lots of information awareness, um, justified under various different, um, you know, legal, legal arguments. And so what happens is, you know, you think you end. That's why I, I don't say that the government has stopped collecting Americans' phone records. The truth is we don't know that right. because what happens is you have one legal authority and then you change that legal authority and then the question is, well, is the information still available under another legal authority? So if you say you can't collect Americans', Americans phone records from inside the United States because we changed that law, 
are those, is that phone calling information available outside the United States where there are very few laws about how the information is gathered? You, you can't target Americans for certain kinds of surveillance, but if you are opportunistically collecting everything and Americans' information happens to be in there, well, there's not a problem with that. Right, right. So do you see this as some people say, well, if there is a whole issue of privacy versus security and safety with all the terrorism in the world, we really should just, you know, err on the side of reduced privacy for the safety issues. What do you say to people who say that? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a, a, there's a, a fantasy in there, which is this, this faith that information is going to stop terrorism. And, you know, that we, we believe that that's true. But if you look at the uh, instances of, you know, where terrorism, ter- where planned terrorist attacks have been stopped and, and where they've gone forward, um, the problem is usually not inadequate information. In some cases, the problem is too much information. Right. Um, right. It's hard to figure out which problem to pay attention to when you have a list of a million people who are suspects and aren't allowed to fly. Or it's difficult to figure out, you know, which of these, um, you know, which of these emails to, to pay attention to when you have a huge repository of a ton of emails. Um, you're going to have false positives. You're going to be following leads that aren't real leads. Um, and so if you look more carefully at the actual instances of counterterrorism, you know, a lot of times we know who the purported terrorists are. And we know because um, their parents came to us and said, I'm worried about my son. Or mm-hmm. we know that they've been in contact with a known uh, organizer, you know, in another country. Um, but, you know, those sorts of things. So we haven't really... There, the case has not been made that more information is necessary um, or even necessarily makes it a lot easier to identify and to stop terrorist attacks and to, and, and to make us more safe. And yet then you have on the other side the concern about what happens with all this information and how the information can be misused. And, and that misuse actually means that information collection is more dangerous for people. It, it itself poses a danger for people. And the danger is threefold. I mean, the danger from having all of this private information stored up is, one, hackers. So it's very valuable to have this sensitive information, and hackers want it. Um, Two is insiders who abuse it. Right. You know, we there are stories um, from inside the intelligence agencies where they have people who have used the databases of calling records and stuff to keep to take a look and see who their girlfriends or boyfriends or spouses have been talking to. Even so the IRS. Stalking. Yeah, we've seen that with the IRS <laughs> as well. I yeah, remember. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of power to get yes. somebody, and some people, you know, you have to have very rigorous internal safeguards in order to to, to stop it. And even so, you're not going to be able to stop it entirely, but often we don't have the right safeguards. You know, and then finally, third is the danger of the government misusing the information itself, the government using it to create a registry of people based on their religion, the government using it to find and discredit political enemies, 
um, the government using it to track peaceful protesters like the Tea Party or uh, or Black Lives Matter or Occupy Wall Street. So, you know, the, the information collection itself poses uh, dangers, and those dangers are serious and real. So I, I understand um, certainly the, the feeling of people who say, you know, we need to do what we need to do to, to keep ourselves safe, but I think that, um, you know, we don't need to do this kind of collection to, to keep ourselves safe. Most of this collection is not done in the name of national security anyway. Um, it's done in the name of foreign intelligence, which is, which is much broader. And um, it's also sort of discounting or not paying enough attention to the way that this kind of collection creates its own security risks and its own dangers for the people whose information ends up being gathered. Oh, my goodness. So that's kind of a, a depressing way to end because we are just <laughs> out of time. But I think we're all going to have to look and really read your book, American Spies, Modern Surveillance, Why You Should Care. And I guess the most important thing is what to do about it. I think we're going to have to use laws and um, and technology and Good faith, and I don't know what else. <laughs> We're going to have to There's read your book. There's an opportunity to change some of those laws this very year. So if people come to my website and take a look, there'll be updates on how to get involved in that effort. Okay, so the websites are americanspies.com and granick, G-R-A-N-I-C-K.com. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Keep up all the wonderful work that you're doing. We sure appreciate it. And we're going to have to have you back again, okay? Yes, thank you so much, Mari. Thanks for having me. Okay, you take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.